Have you ever been bailed out? Have you ever been rescued? Sure, we've all been there, haven't we? Where we need someone to come and get us, someone to rescue us. I remember being in Dallas and Steph and I running out of gas and having to call my old roommate, Joel, and he drops everything and he comes and he bails us out. He rescues us. I remember being in Washington and one of the kids having to go to the emergency room and then people just coming to our aid and rescuing us, taking other kids, making sure that all our needs were met. Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? We've had to have somebody come and bail us out. Somebody come and rescue us. This Sunday, we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's that Sunday when Jesus marched triumphantly into Jerusalem. Jesus coming to his people, not allowing his people to be captured by sin. He is their king and he's coming for them to bail them out, to bail all of us out. You know, I tell you all the time, the good news of the gospel is not that we somehow get to God, but the God in Christ Jesus came to us. And we celebrate that specifically. One of the ways it's most powerfully represented is in Palm Sunday, seeing Jesus coming for his people, knowing everything that was ahead of him that week. Because Palm Sunday, well, it inaugurated a really remarkable and hectic week in the life of Jesus. We'll celebrate that this Good Friday. So if you're able, we invite you to come in person to our Good Friday service. It'll be from six to seven, where we just kind of walk through some of the events that happened that week in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's going to be an exciting time just to celebrate together and to take communion together. So if you're able, again, we'd love to have you. But now, this morning, we're skipping ahead just a little bit to the end of the week, to that Friday, when Jesus is on the cross, and we continue to look at these statements that Jesus has made from the cross. You know, Friday began so quickly. It happened with the arrest of Jesus in the middle of the night as he's betrayed by his friend. And then he's marched from courtroom to courtroom, and ultimately the people, they shout, crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify him. And then the crucifixion process begins as he's taunted and tortured and mocked and beaten. He's marched up a hill and then crucified. And from that cross, as he's dying, he makes these seven statements. At this moment, this statement, we're now ending the end of Jesus' life. He, the first several statements, well, they're spaced out probably over several hours. But these last few statements, they come in quick succession. The sky is growing darker at this point. It's as if all creation couldn't bear to watch the death of her creator. And as painful and as gradual as this death was, the Messiah's death would soon happen. I mean, can you imagine a dead Messiah? And so in this last moment, Jesus, he makes one last statement. I want you to see it. We'll see it in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. It reads, It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Father, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
I commit my spirit, I commit my life, if it had been an awful, awful several hours. We've gone over before just the painful process of the crucifixion and all that it entailed and, and to even hear the people yelling crucify him, the people who he'd come to save and he's been tortured and he's been stripped and he's been mocked and he's been beaten, he's been hung on a cross, he's been crucified, I mean so much, it's been brutal and now his enemies have gathered around just to torment him to mock him from the ground just to add one last bit of insult one last bit of humiliation to this tragic death and now after completing everything Jesus he has one last prayer one last statement would it surprise you to know that this last prayer this last statement that Jesus made it was a it was a bedtime prayer it was a psalm, a psalm that Jesus would have heard as a, as a little boy just growing up, a psalm that I'm sure his parents taught him uh, numerous times. Any faithful Jewish parent, they would teach their child this prayer as they went to sleep. It was kind of like that bedtime prayer. Maybe you've heard it. It began in the early 18th century. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. Well, this prayer, this prayer in Psalm 31, taken from Psalm 31, it's the precursor, the predecessor to that prayer. This was the psalm that Jesus likely would have heard Mary and Joseph sing over him and pray over him at bedtime for countless nights. One of the first psalms they ever taught him. It was a psalm that Jesus likely heard Mary and Joseph praying as they were on the run to Egypt. He would have heard them say from Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock or of a refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And then as they were coming to Nazareth and settling in again in Israel, Jesus, he would have heard them pray time after time after time, Mary and Joseph saying, for you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. And so many times when his parents were afraid, when they didn't know how they were supposed to parent the Son of God or what was going to happen next for them or how things were going to work. And during most bedtime nights, they would have heard, into your hands I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now, this is important for us for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is it's just important to memorize scripture. I mean, you're seeing this coming out of Jesus, but to put scripture in your heart and in your mind, because there are moments in life when life just squeezes us. And we see this throughout the life of Jesus. So many times life squeezes him. And then what comes out is what's already inside. And so when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and Satan just comes and squeezes him, what comes out of Jesus well, the scriptures come out. After every temptation, what comes out when he's squeezed is the scriptures. Oh, we've seen it from the cross and, and other, uh, other statements that he made from the cross as he's being squeezed and tortured and crucified. What comes out? Other Psalms, other, other scripture. This is what's coming out of him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's scripture. I thirst. It's scripture. Into your hands I commit my spirit, a bedtime scripture. So we memorize scripture because life is going to squeeze us. And when you're squeezed, well, what comes out? 
Do you get do you get defensive? Do you, do you try to make excuses? Do you try to justify things? Do you go into attack mode? Do you just launch back? Do you react Christianly? Because scripture is within you. That's what's stored up inside of you. Or are you trusting and leaning on your own understanding? Are you going to follow the scriptures and trust in God's wisdom and actually be obedient to God's word? Is that what you're going to do when life squeezes you? Because that's the question we have. But you're not ready for that moment unless in the everyday moments of life, this is what you're putting in. Otherwise, when you get squeezed, who knows what's going to come out? What's going to come out is what you're putting inside of you. And as Jesus is preparing to die, he places all his trust in the Father. Earlier, it was said that Jesus said, hey, I, I'm being placed into the hands of evil men. And now in his last moments, he places his own life as he had throughout the course of his life into the hands of his Father. It's an interesting question, isn't, isn't it? In whose hands do you place your life? In whose hands are you trusting every moment of your life, every second of your life, every detail of your life? In whose hands do you place your life? See, for many of us, we place our life in our own hands. We do what seems best to us, and we just try to, hey, whatever makes sense to us, whatever feels good to us, our life, we take life into our own hands. And you'll even hear that phrase, hey man, I'm gonna, I just got to take it into my own hands and, and make sense of this and forge on ahead. That's not what Jesus does. He commits his life into the hands of his father. You know, when I used to cover the Orlando Magic, it was a, it was a season where they kind of overachieved and they, and they did better than they were thought to do. And one of the reasons why is one of the things they, they were saying, and I remember hearing at that time, is what makes a good team a great team is trust. Trust. Trust can make up for a lack of talent. Trust is where you're exactly where your teammates expect you to be. Trust. When you know, hey, if, if I'm doing this, I know you're going to do that because we just have this trust. We have this closeness of relationship. We're almost in each other's minds. We, we, we know what the other person is going to do. You're going to do what you're called to do. You know, trust is the essence of the Christian life, that I will trust in God, that I'm, I'm going to develop a commitment to knowing his word because how is trust exhibited? How do we, how do we demonstrate trust? Well, we have to know his word. We have to, we have to pray. We have to be in step with the spirit. And then what do we do? Then we just live it. But you can't trust him if you don't really know him. And if you don't know how to live and what he expects and, and what he wants and how to walk in step with the spirit, if, if that's not there, then trusting him, well, it doesn't really make sense. It sounds like some kind of nebulous thing. Out there. Well, yeah, it sounds good. But we don't really know what that looks like in every moment of every day. And see, we got to get to that point where even when it scares me, I'm going to trust. Even when I can't make sense of, of what God wants for me, and this, I'm, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust his word. That even when I think I might know better, I'm going to trust. And trust, that's the essence of the Christian life. You know, maybe you need that reminder this morning. Maybe you need that encouragement. You know, with all the craziness going on in our world and, you know, you just look at the news any, any day and you just see just the madness that's taking place. And maybe it's in your own life too, isn't it? 
just a lot of craziness and uh, maybe it's job related, finance related, health related, whatever. There's just so much craziness out there. Maybe what you need is just to repeat this prayer, this bedtime prayer that Jesus would have prayed so many times. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I trust my life. I want to walk you through that prayer. Just a couple words at a time and just to really process what this prayer means, the heart of it all. Let's start with that first word, Father. Uh, Abba. It's that intimate word, you know, when you see kids running around and playing and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're at a park or something and you see one little kid just kind of run up to his dad and just yell out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It's that intimate word that a child uses for his father. This is that, Abba. You know, maybe for you, you don't have that great of a relationship with your dad. And so this idea of God as father is somewhat difficult. It maybe doesn't paint this great image. And, you know, it's, it's a metaphor here. Yeah, we're adopted into God's family. But if it's more helpful for you to think of God as friend or defender, or protector, sustainer, just think of him that way. But, but this is how the prayer begins. Father, Savior, Defender, Protector, Sustainer. And you want to begin your prayer just focusing on him. The one who created you, who saved you, who sustained you. The one who knows you best. The one, the only one whose word really matters. What he says about you matters. And so you begin, Father, Abba. Trusting in you. And then there's that next set of words, into your hands. You're focusing on the fact that you're going to place all of your life into the same hands as the one who created the universe. The hands that made the first man, the first woman, out of the dust of the ground. You're going to place your life into his hands. That when you feel run down, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel out of control, when you feel like you got so many plates spinning that you cannot possibly keep them all up, when, when, when you feel like, I just can't go on, you're surrendering control. You're trusting that the hands who holds everything together, well, that he's got you too. Into his hands. It's, it's that moment where you're joining with the prophet Isaiah and you're declaring that God will strengthen you and that he will uphold you with his righteous hands. It's joining with Solomon and Ecclesiastes and declaring that I recognize that every good gift comes from your hands. Everything that's pleasing comes from your hands. And so it's into those hands that I'm trusting. It's into those hands that I'm placing my life. And then there's this next set of words, I commit. It's this willful choice. It's this decision to trust that even when life is hard, even when God seems distant, even when life is confusing and you can't make sense of it, when life is unfair, when the worries of the world begin to crowd your heart, that there's this choice to trust, this choice to commit. And this is an all-in kind of trust. This, this isn't, well, I'm going to hold some back for myself or I'm going to give you this part of my life and I'll give you Sundays, God. I'll give you some prayer time. I'll give you some devotional time. I'll, I'll give you a small group time. I'll give you this portion of my life. But there's some things that I just want to hold to myself. No, this isn't that. This is, I, I'm committing every section of my life, every aspect of who I am, that I'm committing all of it to you. It's a trust. That God's going to speak into your marriage. God's going to speak into your parenting. 
It's a trust that God's going to speak into your job. He's going to speak into your free time. He's going to speak into what you watch on TV and what you listen to on the radio. It's a trust that God's going to speak into your finances. He's going to speak into your exercise habits and your sleep habits and, and, and your diet, all those different things. It's, it's a trust that God has got all of you, every moment, every aspect of every day. And it's this invitation that, God, will you shape all of who I am? Will you impact everything about me? It's that kind of trust, that level of commitment. And then my spirit. It's, it's my, my life, my essence, everything that's important to me, everything that matters to me, that Jesus was, was placing his ministry and the, and the results of his ministry, the consequences of his life's work, everything about him, he's placing all of that into the hands of the Father. What the Father did with it was then the Father's business. That was now up to the Father because he's given control. He's ceding it all to the Father. And so everything that matters to you, every, everything that makes you, you, everything that's important to you, everything that you dream about, everything that you hope about, all those things that are beneath the surface that no one can just look out and see, those, those thoughts, those values, those emotions, those hopes, those dreams, those treasures in your heart, the things you've stored away, everybody that you care about, everybody that you love, everything that's important to you, everything that matters, all of who you are, that's what you're committing to him. Every last thing. You're trusting that God can take all that and that he's going to do what's best with it. That the God who searches your heart and knows your heart and those quiet places of your heart, that you just give it all to him. That, that's what you're committing. This is what that prayer is. And for you to pray that prayer, maybe sounds, sounds a little shaky. It might be hard even to get the words out. It's all you can do to get those words out. You want to pray that prayer. You, you want to mean that prayer. But getting there is hard because we tend to hold things tightly. And, and we look at all we've got, and it's, it's a lot. And it's a lot of trust, and it's a lot of commitment. And so your prayer sounds a little more shaky. It sounds maybe not so confident, but it sounds more hopeful than like a declaration. You know, we've talked about the pain of the cross, the agony of the cross, the anguish of the cross. And one of the things that we mentioned when we, when we discussed this was just the difficulty in even talking. That, that when you're up there and your windpipe's most likely collapsed and you have to pull yourself up just to get words out and just the pain of that, the difficulty in even uttering a word from the cross was extremely hard. And so most of these conversations that Jesus had from the cross, most likely they were more whispers, uh, th these quiet prayers, these, these soft responses, that, that's most likely how they came out. Maybe you see Jesus beginning Psalms, but not having the energy or the strength to finish them. And so, hey, I'm, I'm beginning this and you know what the rest is, because that's all you've got from the cross is you're in the middle of being crucified. But at this moment, <laughs> with this prayer, there was no doubt. Jesus, he musters this last bit of energy. He pulls himself up in this excruciating pain. And in a loud voice, somehow he yells this prayer out. He wanted everyone to hear this prayer. A prayer that any faithful Jew oh, would have stopped them in their tracks because 
They would have heard it so many times as a child, so many times they would have taught their children. It, it was a common prayer. And in this one final declaration, Jesus, he yells out that he's lived his life and now he places the rest, the last moments of his life in complete obedience into the hands of the Father. It was so incredible, so amazing that even a Roman centurion took note and he said, surely he was a righteous man. Even, even a Roman centurion, a Roman military man noticed this. Well, there's something different about him. Maybe your declaration, it doesn't sound like a yell. It doesn't sound like this confident boast of, yes, Father, everything about my life I'm committing into your hands. Maybe it doesn't sound like that. But a life lived in the Father's hands, a life of faithful obedience, not perfect, but, but faithful obedience. People take notice of that. Live this prayer and people will take notice that when you're suffering, you're suffering Christianly, just as Jesus did. That when you're thinking, you're thinking Christianly. That when people come to you for advice, you're speaking the words of truth and wisdom to them. That you live a life in the Father's hands. So as we end this time together, let's pray. That common bedtime prayer, we're going to look the first five verses from Psalm 31. Let's just pray this together. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord and faithful God. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Amen.